Welcome to this episode of the Connection Podcast. Today we talk with a personal friend and also co-bishop, I guess we'll call it that way, Peter Raven, Bishop of Springfield Fifth Ward. He's been the bishop for a little over a year now and really enjoyed working closely together with him in that capacity. For those of you actually who are members of one of our wards, I wanted to announce something super exciting that we're doing again this year. We are combining our wards for Christmas Eve sacrament meeting, uh, just like we did last year. So really excited about that. Loved what we did last year. So make sure and invite friends and family to that. In this episode with Peter, we get into his career choice, talking about balancing home life with career and hobbies, and also several funny stories that I think you'll really enjoy. All right, welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keyser, the show's producer, and we have Peter Raven our Bishop Raven, or Dr. Raven, <laughs> from Springfield Fifth Ward. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Good to be here. And we have a couple of guest hosts that have been on here before. We have Bethany Bear. Hello. Welcome. And we have Levi Keister. Hey, guys. Who is wearing my shirt. <laughs> Ooh, I did like that yep. shirt. We are at the age now where our kids start to wear our clothes. And <laughs> that is just, uh, I don't know. Yeah, no. It is just a mess in the laundry room. Nobody knows what's what anymore. Owen's been stealing my clothes now, too. Oh, well, he Levi did bring me a soda, so thank you for that. And actually, Peter, you and I, as as a dentist, uh, we've talked quite a bit about uh, sugary things, and you, you do enjoy sweets now and then. Am I wrong? Or I, Some people say I have a problem, but I, I think I'm... Uh, moderate in but my you, uh, sugar intake. Okay. You, you've taught me a lot of hacks, though, about how to uh, be naughty but still not get cavities. So I, you told me about soda. What was it about soda? How long does it actually put me at risk for a cavity? Uh, not that long. It's 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 not about how much you drink. It's how often you drink it. So it's all, it's, <laughs> it's all about the sugar as well. So if you drink a diet soda, it doesn't matter. So a diet soda, I'm I'm solid. I don't know how good it is for your stomach and the rest of your body, but your teeth are golden. It's uh, doing all right so far, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I've only made it 39 years though. So, <laughs> oh, awesome. And what about what about sweets then? What do we? Any tips there as far as how I can continue um, eating Sour Patch Kids and not have to see you again? Yeah. Any uh, anything with your meal puts you at uh, no higher risk for cavities. So, really? Yep. Eat a snack with your lunch. Eat a snack with your dinner. It's whatever you eat between your meals that puts you at a higher risk. I'm mind blown right now. That's awesome. <laughs> so I just have to like be thoughtful and intentional with yeah. my sweet day. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> well, we we usually start this show. I think we were talking earlier about how the audience has grown over the last year and uh, we're definitely expanded to the stake and probably beyond, you know, family members or just people in the community that listen. So I, I wanted you to intro yourself thinking about hypothetically, you're, you move into a new ward and you're called to speak in sacrament and then Naomi nudges you and say that you're the one that intros the family and go. Well, first of all, that would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> she would never trust me to introduce the family. That's never. <laughs> always her responsibility. Uh, if you want the story straight, get it from her. Uh, if you want uh, the distorted version, I can share it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I... Uh, Lived here in Oregon 15 years, uh, born and raised in Payson, Utah, a small town of about 8,000. I'm the ninth of 11 kids, so grew up in a big family and uh, did some schooling there in Utah and then headed back east to uh, Indiana, did a few more years of schooling and then uh, been back here in Oregon, loving it for the last 15 years. 
taking care of uh, my patients in my dental office. And I, I wanted to start with your life growing up because you're the, I mean, such a big family. Can you just unpack that for us a bit, what that was like growing up? Yeah, it's uh, it was an awesome, uh, awesome time growing up. It was never a dull moment in my family. Uh, we were always just outside playing. I grew up in a very poor home, so we really didn't have much. I can think of the times we went out to eat maybe on one hand growing up. It just wasn't a thing we did. Um, but we always, you know, played games outside, kick the can. We played tug of war. We played, you know, lots of games that you guys don't play around here that are kind of obscure and and uh, whatnot. But we had a great time, and uh, it was always physical, and it always ended the same way. Uh, somebody started crying, and Mom said, time to come in. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, pretty universal, I feel like. <laughs> What, what kind of lessons did you learn growing up in a, a large family like that? I learned uh, the importance of hard work. Everyone kind of had to pull their own weight. I learned not to uh, not to be selfish because everything you had was a hand-me-down from whoever was uh, older than you and maybe the person next older from them. And uh, so we didn't really get too worried about personal possessions and stuff. I never really got all that uh, attached to things. Stuff came and went. I don't know, I guess I didn't realize that we were poor until I was older. You know, you kind of grow up and what's the old saying? You don't know the temperature of the water you swim in. Mm. You know, you just kind of grow up and it is what it is until you get a little older and look back and say, holy crap, we didn't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of how it was. Were your parents members of the church? Or? Yeah, they were. Um, my mom was baptized when she was uh, fairly young. I think she was about 12. Missionaries came and visited her home and taught her family. She was the first one baptized. Pretty amazing. She was in Idaho, small town Idaho girl. Missionaries might not have thought they had accomplished anything too great baptizing a 12-year-old girl. Um, but in one generation, you know, that 12-year-old girl had uh, 11 children. And of those 11 children, what, nine served missions, I think? Eight or nine served missions. Wow. So a, a tremendous uh, impact. In, uh, in the church in just one generation. So it's pretty awesome. Oh, that's, that is really cool. Can you tell us more about your life growing up as a member of the church, just early years and, and what that was like for you? Yeah. You know, we were, uh, we were real faithful members of the church. My folks went to, Sunday, you know, went to church every Sunday and, you know, just kind of part of our routine. I don't really remember like callings my parents had or that sort of thing, uh, but I just always remember we were involved. We always went to church activities. We were super involved in scouting growing up, so I did a ton of uh, scouting and camping, and you know, uh, fortunate to uh, to be able to earn my Eagle Scout growing up. Yeah, it was just always part of kind of our routine. Interesting on my dad's side of the family, they. He grew up in a family where his parents were less active, and so he wasn't uh, active until a little bit later in life uh, when he went, met my mom, and that kind of sparked him to, uh, you know, to be more active in the church, as I as I recall. Smart on his part. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I wanted to know too. Just speaking of your life growing up, uh, we just had Drew Boreen come speak in our ward. He's going on a mission. Um, super excited for him, but. He, he was talking about receiving revelation and receiving his own testimony, you know, maybe close to the time when he's actually going on a mission. And um, I, I think that's not atypical. I think a lot of us, even if we grew up as members of the church, we were we were 
basically kind of living off of borrowed light and and what our parents kind of taught us and then we found out for ourselves at one point is was there a moment or or a series of moments for you that were uh, you know when it clicked or or when you were able to develop that personal relationship with Jesus Christ and yeah, it's a great question. I, I think we uh, I think we gain our testimony kind of one topic at a time. You know, my testimony of you know of prayer developed, and my testimony of uh, attending uh, church meetings developed, and my testimony of you know these other gospel topics kind of they come and they uh, develop bit by bit. I think our testimony really isn't strong until it's tested, uh, and so I think that's why a mission is a little bit of a one of those moments where you got to step out and say. This is what I believe, and I'm willing to sacrifice for it. I'm willing to put something on the line for it. Before my mission, I had the chance to uh, be involved in a singing group, and we uh, we did a lot of kind of firesides and things, and, and had lots of great experiences with music and singing and, and really feeling the the power of Christ's teachings to, uh, to help uh, overcome trials, to help find peace in life, to help build friendships. And so that was really meaningful to me. Also in high school, we discovered a group of friends of mine. Uh, mine used to go to uh, BYU, and they had what was called tunnel singing at the time. So a big giant tunnel that went to the basketball uh, arena there, and they would gather on Sunday nights on picnic blankets, and then someone with a pitch pipe would would uh, play a, a note and call out the hymn, and then we would all sing that hymn, and then they would call out the next hymn, and you just bounce from hymn to hymn. And then part of the night, they would have those who had received mission calls stand up and and uh, say where they were going to go and when they were leaving, and everyone would cheer and shout and clap. And anyway, so it was pretty exciting. And, um, you know, it just really gave me a, a much stronger desire to serve and, and uh, get out there and, and do my part. So where did you end up serving your mission? Yeah, I served in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. So I served uh, two years in Sao Paulo, a big city, and uh, most of my time was in the country. But it was a, it was a gorgeous, uh, gorgeous country and, and wonderful people and, and uh, just fantastic uh, language and, and a great experience. So how uh, far into your mission did your stomach like calm down? <laughs> how many parasites did yeah. you have? <laughs> no, no parasites that I'm aware of, but they did make you take medicine every six months to, oh, to clear your system. Oh, you guys got medicine? Yeah, <laughs> they gave you, so it tasted <laughs> metallic. It was nasty. <laughs> so when I went to the missionary training center, um, they have pretty much an all-you-can-eat buffet with every meal. And in the missionary training center, I think I gained like 20 or 25 pounds. Um, so... I put on a lot of weight, and I was working out a lot. I, I want to see what Fat Peter looks like. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> it was it was, uh, it was pretty uh, pretty ripped, Peter, at that point. Oh, ripped Peter. Okay, so yeah. he's like, it was, okay. I I was working out hard and and uh, eating hard too. Okay. But then I got to Brazil. So you were in a bulk phase. I was yeah. bulking up for no, sure. Go. I got to Brazil and I lost it all in about two months because my body wouldn't digest beans and rice very well. <laughs> At what end did you lose it? So, oh, every, yeah, it was, it was a little rough for a couple months, and then I finally, you know, tolerated it because it was beans and rice every day for two years, which the beans and rice were wonderful, but, you know, that was pretty simple food. Was that your first time leaving the country? Or? Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I'd gone to, like, Tijuana, Mexico, but... That was that was about it. Otherwise, By fireworks. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's what we should ask you about is uh, being a pyro because we know that about. It. But uh, <laughs> we'll we'll talk more about that later. But yeah, um, 
What was that just like the cultural experience then? Because like you hadn't left the country before. This is a brand new thing for you. Yeah, I think the thing that was was interesting, uh, the language was obviously interesting because I didn't know anything about Portuguese until I until <clears throat> I got there. Um, but I was uh, I was terrible at Portuguese uh, while I was in the missionary training center, like everyone else. But I thought I was worse than everyone else. Um, but I, I studied hard and I listened to missionary tapes in Portuguese while I slept, and I really think that helped me. And then when I got to Brazil, I decided to stop speaking English, which which was by far the best thing I did to learn Portuguese. So even if I was around English speakers, I wouldn't speak English. So I I stopped speaking English for almost two years, and uh, my English got a little rusty on the way back, <laughs> which was strange, but uh, but it was amazing. The other thing that was, um, I would say, a bit of a shock was poverty, you know, real poverty. Mm-hmm. And uh, you go through some of the slums in Brazil, and it's just, mm-hmm. it's just unbelievable how... Uh, you know, you have no sanitation, you have no garbage system, you have no sewer system. You're just walking through streets that are that are just unbelievably filthy, and the houses are filled with people that uh, that are that are just caring and and kind and loving and generous. And so it was uh, it was very unique to to kind of see that that the dramatic uh, conditions they lived in and still happy loving, caring people, generous people. And uh, I just had never experienced that before. I, I like the look back aspect to a mission because there are a lot of things, at least this is my experience coming back from a mission, everything feels so big and important, but then it kind of gets filtered through the years. At least that's been my experience. And there there are certain things you look back to and, and relationships that were important and stand out above the rest. I just wondered if there were any relationships or, or people that really stand out now that you reflect back years later. Yeah, I would say that there are a bunch of them. Um, some of the people I taught, you know, were just unbelievable um, to be able to have an impact and uh, bring a message to someone that they then embraced and and were able to, to have as a foundation for their family. Jose and Cosette, um, were a couple that I, I taught, and I taught them pretty early in my mission. They had, uh, I think, two young children at the time, amazing young couple, and uh, were willing to make sacrifices to join the church and be committed uh, in this new faith. And it was pretty awesome because, you know, missionaries get transferred and they move on to the next area. Um, but I had the, uh, the privilege to go through the temple with them to, uh, to see them be sealed. Uh, a year later after their baptism, and uh, to be able to be in the temple, see their kids a year later, and to uh, to see them be sealed was just, you know, just miraculous. And, uh, you know, just a tremendous family that was ready to receive the gospel and, and really has taken the taken the fruits of the gospel, you know, and, and run with it. Their, their boys have served missions now, and so it's just awesome to be able to kind of check in on them occasionally and, and see some of those... Uh, those uh, benefits. That's so cool. I, I I know most of us that have been in missions, we have relationships like that that we that we check back to, and um, it's just so neat and humbling at the same time to be a part of something like that. I think this would be a good time. Yeah, this would be a good time to get into after mission and courtship with Naomi, meeting her, and then eventually getting married. 
So, um, yeah, Naomi Raven is, uh, she's an amazing woman. Um, I knew her from a pretty young age. Again, we both went to the same high school, Payson High School. I was two years ahead of her in school. I knew of her more than knew her personally until one day um, a friend of ours invited her to the singing group I was a part of. It was called Latter-day Light. It was an acapella singing group. And again, we would kind of do firesides on Sunday evenings. And this was still in high school. Then. Yeah, still yeah. in high school. So I was probably a junior <clears throat> when we met, I would say. Uh, and she was probably a freshman. Uh, but we're there on a Sunday night. And she was. it was pretty good timing, to be honest. Uh, we stand in a circle to sing. This night, we decided that we wanted to kind of do a, a an appreciation for the uh, the girls in the group. And so we we met at the church building. And outside of the church were beautiful roses. So all the men, young men went out and we cut roses <laughs> to, get, to give the young ladies in the group. And Naomi happened to be there. This was her first night visiting. And so we were Why are we not doing roses. this for etiquette night? Uh, it seems like <laughs> nice. This seems like awesome. Yeah, it's a great idea. Levi wants out, to do that. Worked out well for me, for sure. And so I ended up um, giving her the rose that night saying, you know, welcome. It's great to have you here. And. We got acquainted and uh, we used to date pretty casually before my mission. I wasn't real interested in anything serious. So I would go country dancing and we would just go hiking and, you know, all sorts of fun activities like that, but real casual. I dated a lot of people casually, um, never wanted to get serious with anyone before my mission. But then after the mission, we really hit it off and uh, she was in school up in Logan. We traveled back and forth as we uh, as we were dating and, and uh, decided to get married. So it was pretty awesome. Peter had a motorcycle, so that probably helped sweeten the deal. <laughs> the craziest thing about it, I had a street bike and her dad never like took me aside and said, hey, are you safe on the bike or anything else? He just let me ride. I threw her <laughs> on the back and for a long time we rode with a motorcycle that did not have a face shield. And so she would have to close her eyes when we rode. <laughs> Otherwise, her yeah. eyes would just be just totally, uh, you know, watering from not having a, uh, a shield on the, the helmet. It just trusted you, man. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. Say. I would never trust uh, someone taking my daughter out like that. I know too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, I, it just reminds me of like, uh, I, I used to i dated uh, the stake president's daughter for a couple years and in, in high school and he would interview everybody that dated his daughters you know but i came up and he was like you're good and i was like well hold up wow. hold up how do you just know like i could be dangerous you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're like i'm a bad man i was kind of offended by it you know like come on man oh that's funny that's good. What so I I like to ask this question too because we don't always we don't always get the opportunity to say this kind of thing. But what what do you like about Naomi? Oh, yeah. I think uh, Naomi's probably one of the most uh, caring individuals that I've ever met. She just uh, has a a huge heart and is always looking for opportunities to uh, express her uh, appreciation and love for other people. She's very. Um, She's very open. She's an amazing communicator. Um, she expresses uh, expresses love uh, to others. Um, she's a fantastic mother. Uh, she was always engaged in our kids' education and our kids' sports and, and allowed them to pursue the things that they wanted to. And, uh, and I really uh, respect her. She's a very smart individual as well. She's far smarter than I 
will ever be, a tremendous student. Um, she could have breezed through what I did in dental school without any trouble at all. She would say she wrote some of my uh, papers to get me through, but that's that's uh, an exaggeration. Uh, but she is a very good uh, she's a very good writer as well. She wants to someday maybe write uh, children's stories, which I think she would she would do awesome at. That's so cool. That's great. I haven't gotten a chance to put Bethany on the spot about that either, but I, I like it when I have people on to ask about their spouse. But like just talking on the the subject of our spouses, like Stetson, we, we need to have Stetson on. We've had you on before, but what what do you like about Stetson? Nothing, honestly. Yeah, bad time to ask. <laughs> <laughs> he left me all weekend, so. <laughs> no, I. This was a bad weekend to ask <laughs> with everybody gone on the, the ATV trip. But, yeah. yeah. No, it's actually good. It helps me, you know, reflect on why I like him so much. One thing I love about Setson is he, it, he's so good at everything and if he's not good at it he'll figure it out and he is such a doer he has so much energy which sometimes is overwhelming for me but i actually love it um because he just gets things done and i'm a little bit of like a procrastinator and an overthinker and so you know if something needs to be done i'm gonna think about why it's so difficult to do or why I don't have time right now. And he is very much, he just wants to get it done. And so he's super good at everything. And sometimes it's annoying to me because things <laughs> just don't come easily yep. to me as hard as I try. He has a lot of common sense and he just like genuinely loves people and cares about people. And he's so, he's really easy to get along with because he just, he just doesn't really care about unimportant things. And mm. so, yeah, he's and he's funny. Honestly, it's I'll just tell a brief story. <laughs> when we first started dating, I had dated guys that were super funny, super <laughs> sarcastic. And I loved that. I grew up in a really sarcastic household, much to my mom's chagrin. That was kind of our family culture. And so I think that I was naturally drawn to guys that were really sarcastic, but um, that came with some negative qualities also. And sometimes sarcasm is is not not the most becoming quality. So when I first met Setson, he was so nice. I just remember thinking like, nobody is this nice and nobody is this happy. He was like, I actually <laughs> described him to my best friend as goofy because I just thought he was mm -hmm. so happy all the time and it was weird. And I remember talking to my mom and I said, I really like him. He has so many good qualities, but he's not funny. And I said, but it's okay because all of these other qualities outweigh that. And I will give that up for all of the stuff that I get to trade for it. And it turns out that he also grew up in a really sarcastic household, but because he immediately was such a nice guy, I didn't bring sarcasm because I was afraid to hurt his feelings. Well, he got the same impression of me. And I remember the phone call we were on because our, our dating relationship was long distance. And he said something and it, and I was like, oh, he's funny. And I was in the car and I remember thinking, oh, I'm so relieved. Oh, he's funny. And then, you know, I laughed and I said, you're funny. And he goes, did you not think I was funny? Anyways, it was such a relief. He's hilarious. He makes me laugh harder than anybody. And honestly, most of it is like at my expense, but that makes it so much funnier to me. So, well, I mean, anyways. all, all humor is at somebody's expense right? <laughs> yeah. at some point. Yeah. There's no getting around that. Oh, that's, that's, awesome. that's great. Well, speaking of that, I think that's a good segue actually, because with Peter, I think that we've, 
definitely painted, you know, a picture of um, your your faith journey and things like that. But uh, Peter is a pretty funny guy, and he gets <laughs> in pretty funny situations too. I think I think it's time for a funny story of some sort. You want to tackle that, Levi? Or let's, yeah, yeah, you got some questions written down. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about the time that you fell asleep at your kid's delivery. <laughs> oh, so yeah. there are multiple versions of this uh, story. So we're going to hear the Peter version. I thought there was yeah. multiple deliveries that you fell asleep yeah. in. <laughs> I don't remember it exactly the same way why my wife remembers it, but I do have a tendency of being a very heavy sleeper. And so it may or may not be true that when uh, like you're in the hospital and it's a long delivery – and I may or may not have snoozed a little bit. <laughs> I think the one that got me in trouble, we were in the hospital after the delivery and uh, Naomi needed help getting to the restroom or something. And she called the nurse in and the nurse came in and for some reason I wasn't waking up. And so the nurse started yelling at me and flipping the lights on and she made a big deal about it as if I wasn't a caring husband. And I was just a deep sleeper. And so the nurse like helped her into the bathroom and then helped her out. But, uh, but she was very, very disappointed with me. Uh, and I guess the part that made it the funniest is that was with Brianna. And we had Tyler pretty shortly thereafter. Tyler and Brianna are only like, I don't know, a year apart, just slightly over a year apart, I think. When we went to have Tyler in the hospital, it was the same stinking nurse. And so I had to kind of be on my best behavior because we uh, we hadn't hit it off the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so are you just taking caffeine pills or something at that point? Or <laughs> I don't know. How I, I don't know. See, it was tricky, though, because I, you know, I was in can't dental school sleep. at the time. So yeah. I was maxed out with uh, with work and you got little ones at home already and... Yeah, there was a lot going on, so it was. Anyway, it was it was a tiring, you know, time of life. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I, I think there are other. I mean, everybody that knows you pretty well. I I think we're part of some of the same friend groups, and you know, anybody that knows you well has a Peter Raven sleep story of some sort. <laughs> I think we already told one on this podcast when Jordan Moon came on, and, and we were talking about. Actually, I'll I'll let you tell your side of this though, because so the the story is about Jordan Moon sleepwalking while we were on an ATV trip. I think I was there for part of the trip, but not for this overnight segment, So, <laughs> which I really regret because yes. that would have been totally <laughs> worth it. But why don't you go ahead and tell us what happened and, and why Jordan owes you an apology. Yeah, well, yeah. he actually has never really fessed up to, uh, to, to what he did that night. So he was, you know, sleeping. He sleepwalks uh, quite frequently. We're in Stetson's trailer. I'm on the top bunk. Stetson's on the bottom bunk and Jordan's on this little side bed. And Jordan was dreaming that the ocean was like sliding into the ocean. That, and so we were in grave danger. <laughs> and so he wakes up and goes over to the door to like get out and he wakes Stetson up. And somehow in the process, he broke Stetson's, the little lever that opens the door. But I slept through the whole dang thing. So... He went to save Stetson and didn't save me at all. I didn't hear about it until the morning. And then I started thinking, wow, he didn't even save me. I could have been in the ocean if I had been in real danger. So I do hold that against him a little bit. 
As you should, as you should. Maybe, maybe he thought you'd be okay. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Stetson's dad was asleep in the front, and he also didn't get woken up. So. Oh, there we go. Wow. <laughs> you would have gone together, so. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, good for Stetson, though. That's a prime position. <laughs> you only had time to save one. I guess we know who it would be. Save Stetson first. Well, I, th- I think what it was more than that is if you wake Peter up, He's just going to tell you it's fine. <laughs> and that's not very reassuring when you're falling in the ocean. If you wake Setson up, he's going to get out. He's going to hook on to the camper. He's going to pull you out of the ocean. <laughs> he's going to sing you a lullaby, oh. and you're going to go back to bed. So. Well, I, I remember I, you and I have been on a couple of scouting, or I guess not scouting anymore, but a couple of young men trips, and we slept next to each other, and I was like, is it, is he going to move? Is it? And it's like, nope, he doesn't move. He just stays still. I think he snores, though. I think no, I, I do not it. snore. I will, I will say I have not heard Peter snore at all. I've had opportunity. That is a myth. Yeah. Oh, it must be Jordan just blaming everybody else. Oh, it sounds like he does. Yeah, anyway. Hey, Jordan, come back and defend yourself. It's been a long time. So oh, that was good. So let's go... Actually, let's let's do another story. Bethany, what what do you want to ask Peter about? Um, we do the airport. Sounds one? Sounds like yeah. It sounds like Peter has some stories about M and M's. You know, the funny thing about Peter is he has M and M's pretty frequently, <laughs> <laughs> and in just interesting situations. <laughs> I love a good peanut M and M. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> peanut. By the way, though, like M and M's, can we just real quick break that down? Because is there anything better than a peanut M and M? Pretty good. I don't know. Yeah, I like peanut the butter M and M's. Peanut butter M and M's. What? <laughs> Levi sounds and like popcorn. he has a mouth full of peanut butter M and M's right now. But. You like peanut butter the best? Yes. I used to like like crispy M&M's, but peanut peanut M&M's yeah. hit. Peanuts what do you good, mean right? crispy M&M's? They used to make like crispy, like I, I don't know how to describe Yeah, they're Like in, the wafer they're ones? They're in the yeah. green bag. Yeah. Do you have a favorite kind? The wafer ones are gross. Um, I like the caramel ones. I, I, you don't really see the caramel ones no, anymore. not that much. Yeah. And I like regular. I like peanut M&M's too. Yeah. One time we were four-wheeling and Peter had a backpack that he wears when he dirt bikes and he was rifling through his backpack and he pulled out a bag of peanut M&M's that <laughs> had been fossilized at that point in time. <laughs> and he, the bag was a little worse for wear itself, but he opened up the bag and started eating like chunks of M&M's that weren't in the form they started in. And then he <laughs> tried to offer them I to the rest them. of That's right. <laughs> and Naomi would not let us eat them. <laughs> so, peanut M&M's, man. Hey, when you're in a survival situation. <laughs> no, 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 right. no, no. It, you get used to stuff like that if you hike or if you play golf or anything and you, they melt, like it's, you don't want to waste it. Yeah, it's no, still you, gotta, like, you gotta finish them off. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the peanut M&M story. So we, uh, I can't remember where we were headed, but we were on a trip um, with the family, and <clears throat> I just had a bag of peanut M&Ms, <laughs> and apparently, when they go through the x-ray machine, they show up a little suspicious. So you get to the end, and they're like, whose bag is this? I'm like, oh, that's my bag. I'm like, I know I took everything out. It should be fine. There's nothing in there. So the lady unzips it, and she had a bad attitude. I'll be real honest. <laughs> She was. She should have worked at the DMV. Um, if anyone works at the DMV, I don't mean to be offensive. But uh, yeah, she had a bad attitude to start with. And she's just rifling through my stuff. You know how they just mess with your junk. 
And uh, and then she found the the bag of peanut M and M's. Like, aha! She pulls it out, <laughs> and it was I don't know. It's a decent sized bag. It wasn't like a individual. It was like the family size bag. Mm-hmm. And so she un like opens up the zipper top on it, and she's looking down through it. And then she holds it in her hand and like like wiggles her fingers to make the M and M's all move, so she can like see in them. And it was just super creepy. I'm like. It's a bag of M&M's, lady. Get off my M&M's. And anyway, so she was, she reluctantly let me take them. But, you know, she thought, she thought there could be something dangerous inside the M&M's. So. Can never be too careful. Yeah, it was, it was unfortunate. I did feel violated and uh, she was on a little power trip. I seem to have trouble with that sometimes when I go through airport security. I'm like one of the, one of the people that gets nabbed way too often. And Naomi thinks it's hilarious because, I don't know, she just thinks it's great when they start frisking me or whatever. They wand me and they check my pockets and they rub the little bomb smelly thing on my stuff. And I don't know, they do all kinds God, of stuff. What is it about you that's setting people off? I, that's what I'm I, I, It's like the mailman that's afraid of the dog. He's the one that always gets bit. Yeah. I, somehow I'm the guy that always gets checked at airport security. No good reason, though. I'm a, I'm a... You know, I'm a good guy. I'm not going to harm anyone. Wait, the the real question is, would you eat the M&Ms afterwards, Bethany, or would you be done at that point? <laughs> if she didn't put her hand in them, I'd be okay. I'd be laughing. But no, if she touched them, I, that'd be... They, say they're her M&Ms for me now. Too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you eat the M&Ms? Yeah, oh yeah I ate them. <laughs> but again, I felt I felt violated and, and I was a little disappointed with her uh, professionalism. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Was it, were your family was your family just busting up laughing? Oh yeah, they love that sort of thing. Yeah, anytime I have an interaction with police <clears throat> or with uh, airport security or anybody else, they just they think that's the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> no help they are. Well, I wanted I wanted to segue a bit here and and ask you about being because your current calling, you're the bishop of Springfield Fifth Ward. Yep. And you just hit your anniversary, is that right? One year anniversary, yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, I believe. <clears throat> cool. I, I wanted to, I, I like for any calling, but for being a bishop or, you know, callings that demand more time, it, it's always good to hear the call experience. Like, what, what was your experience when you received the call from stake presidency to meet with them? And just uh, unpack that a bit for us. Yeah, so you get called to uh, to go to the stake president's office and, you know, together with your spouse. And so I thought, oh, yeah, she's getting something. She's getting a big <laughs> calling. This is going to be serious. <laughs> I knew it was for her, for sure. You know what I mean? And then uh, then we showed up and he said it was for me. And I, I said, Are you, I think you got the wrong guy. He said, I can't be the Relief Society president. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, this is, this is not what I expected. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the previous bishop had said that he'd had a dream that uh, that he was going to be the bishop and this, that, and the other. And I had nothing. I I got a call to the stake president's office, and I expected it to be for my wife. That was it. So, yeah, I got uh, I got no uh, no advance notice. Uh, it was interesting though. Probably two months before I got called to be bishop, I had made the the change in my in my dental schedule, and I dropped one. You know, one of the days that I was working, um, I just felt like I wanted to drop that day. It was just a little too, 
too much to do with all the administration and that sort of stuff. And looking back, it really has given me an opportunity to spend some some time and accomplish some of the things that I that I want to do as bishop. So it's been uh, it's been really good. Been a good year. What what's your experience been so far? I, I think sometimes we can ask a little too early in in a calling like that, where you know you're a few months in and you're just drinking from the fire hose and. But now it's, it, I imagine you've had at least a little time to reflect. I, I wanted to know what the experience has been like for, for you, what you've been learning, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a humbling calling for sure. Um, <clears throat> there's just so much to do and so, uh, so little time. Um, but I think it's a great privilege to be able to meet with people and, and focus on uh, their preparation to, uh, to be worthy to have a temple recommend, you know, spending time talking about... Uh, um, holding a current temple recommend is a big focus. Uh, I get the privilege of uh, being able to do tithing declarations once a year, which is uh, which is a really great experience as well. Um, interestingly, we've had a lot of members pass away since I've been bishop. I think we've already had five or six people pass away, so it's a it's a significant number in one year. They're just dying um, to get out of there. Right? Yeah, seriously, there's only one way out of the fifth ward. <laughs> But <laughs> that was the joke at first word. Was it? Yeah. Oh man! Yeah. So it's I don't know the I didn't expect funerals to be as spiritual and as as impactful as they really have been. So they, I've had some really beautiful experiences with families and at uh, funerals. Just really, it's just so clear what the gospel means in someone's life when um, they've either recorded their own testimony to be shared at their funeral, or you hear. The impact of someone's testimony on their family members, um, you know, I think it's so easy just to kind of go throughout life and, and not really, I don't know, not really take an account of how um, how significant the the choices we're making really are, and how big of an impact they have on our family, how big of an impact they have on on loved ones. Um, until a moment like that where you get to say, hey, I chose to live the gospel and this is the impact it had, or I chose to not live the gospel and this is the impact it had on on loved ones. So yeah, being a bishop's been a, a tremendous uh, a blessing and uh, you know, get to work with the youth a lot, which is amazing, uh, which I've done for a number of years. But uh, um, yeah, just amazing members, people willing to serve, people willing to uh, help and reach out and uh, support each other and um, you know, there's just so many things that I wish I could uh, do and, and follow up on callings and, you know, communicate with everyone and, and uh, greet everyone and, and do so many other things. But, you know, you've only got so much time and, and you know, so many opportunities. So we just make the most of, of the what's in front of me, basically. I wanted to know more about how you've felt that you've grown. You know, it, it can be maybe just natural areas that we grow as we serve in a calling like that, or it could be something that surprised you too. Yeah, I guess there's just lots of situations you're put in that you've never been put in before, right? Uh, someone comes and is, is struggling with a, a challenge and is now asking for, you know, for spiritual advice on how to overcome a challenge that you may or may not have ever dealt with. You know, speaking at funerals, right? I guess I didn't have very many funeral talks uh, mm. pre, uh, pre-written before I came, became bishop. So there's just so many things that are just kind of put in your path that uh, that you just have to kind of do the best you can, right? You have to rely on the Spirit. You have to rely on whatever ability that you have. And, you know, I hear people all the time say, well, I, you know, I'd be really nervous to do that. Or I, I, 
you know, I don't know if I could do that. And it's like, well, geez, I didn't think I could do it either. And uh, <laughs> it's just kind of the way it is. You just, you just have to kind of step up and say, I'm going to do the best I can. And, uh, um, you know, I think about, you know, I think about like the apostles, right? The calling of an apostle is much different than a bishop, but they were just tossed in it, right? The Savior mm -hmm. walks out, says, hey, you guys look like good fishermen. Why don't you come and uh, join me and we'll, uh, we'll teach the gospel. And they're like, dang, okay, well, let's do it. So they didn't have a, a long training period. I feel somewhat uh, like that as bishop. You just kind of get tossed in and and you do the best you can and, and you turn to the Savior and look at his example and look at uh, look at the prophet, look at his teachings and, and try and uh, decipher as best you can through the Spirit what, uh, what seems like a reasonable course moving forward. I was curious too, as somebody who's worked with the youth for a long period of time, you served in young men's, other callings like that. But it, it is a little different for a lot of us, the role of the bishop, because we go from, you know, maybe being somebody who's a mentor, teaching people to still being a mentor, but also being somebody who's really there to point them to Christ and maybe help them to develop that relationship for the first time ever. Um, what, what's that experience been like for you? Yeah, I, I think the uh, the youth have been amazing. And um, I think the difference is, as bishop, my responsibility is <clears throat> a little more to invite them to the next step, invite them to consider receiving a patriarchal blessing, invite them to prepare to serve a mission, invite them to, you know, pass the sacrament if they haven't passed the sacrament in a while, invite them to share a talk uh, in sacrament meeting. Uh, that they're uncomfortable doing, uh, invite them to serve as, you know, a leader in one of the youth, uh, you know, organizations. So there's just so many opportunities to to not just build a friendship and and you know teach a lesson now and again, but mm -hmm. it's it's now asking others to kind of step into roles that they're uncomfortable stepping into, which gives them you know, gives them a chance for growth, right? I think that's that's how we all grow. I think we should talk about balance, work life balance for a second here, because I think, Bethany, you and I were talking about this pre-show too, is, is Peter, you have a lot of hobbies. You know, there's a lot of things that you like to do and, you know, you have a busy career as well. We were talking about how you find balance between the things you like to do, the things you have to do. Tell us more about that. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> something I've, um, you know, talked a lot with uh, Naomi about, she's, uh, she's just a, a tremendous... Uh, you know, wife. And so we, we spend a lot of time talking about how do we enjoy the journey, right? That's been one of our big themes that we're not going to wait until we retire to enjoy our lives. We're not going to wait until we're some later date to do the things we enjoy. So we've, <clears throat> we've had lots of hobbies along the way. I enjoy sports. I enjoy the outdoors. I enjoy motorcycles. I enjoy quads. I enjoy, I'll try anything, you know, um, that's true. <laughs> which, you know, I think that's part of growing up in like scouting, right? It just, I got exposed to so many different things that it, I love it all. I, I love trying new things and, and whatnot. You certainly can't do all of the things you like doing all the time. And there are many things that you just need to do. You know, schooling, I think is a good example. I hated schooling. I was not interested in, in education, really. I, I liked going to school because I had friends and I sang in the choir and I played soccer and I did golf and I did wrestling. And uh, so sports was my passion and, uh, and school came with it. <laughs> and it, you know, it, it kind of carried on into dental school, right? I went to dental school 
um, a little bit by accident, but it was kind of a means to an end. What I wanted to be is a dentist, and apparently you have to go to dental school to be a dentist. <laughs> and so, you know what I mean? You just, yeah. you kind of work through the things that uh, you don't love as much to get to where you want to be. And in order to get balance in my life, I've I've found things that I love doing. I, I love fishing. I love, you know, I can name 50 other things that I just love doing. And, uh, and so I find opportunities to do them along the way. I actually think it doesn't take away from, you know, my work or my church responsibilities. I think it adds to them because I'm just a more, uh, I'm more engaged. I just, I just love life. And, uh, and so being fulfilled as an individual allows me to bring a lot more of myself to the other roles that I have. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And it's a, it's a hard thing because it's something that I always tell people when I give them a calling you know, in church, I tell them that, you know, family first, you know, make sure that they know that they're a priority, make sure they feel that, do things that make you feel well-rounded, follow your heart, what does your heart ask, you know, for as far as passions, hobbies, things like that, but then do I do it myself? Not all that. Do I always follow that advice? And it's hard, yeah. you know. But I was I was curious Bethany's opinion on this too, because man, like you got two active boys and you know, <laughs> Stetson's work's busy, you're you're busy with a million things. Like, how do you guys find that balance at this stage of your life right now? Yeah, well, really quickly, I just wanna say one thing I really yeah. admire about yeah. Peter and Naomi and the way that, you know, just he said we decided we're not gonna wait is sometimes I find myself you know, thinking or, you know, we Stetson and I talk and it's like, well, when, when the boys are older, or when, you know, it's just us and like, here's all the things we want to do. And I feel like Peter and Naomi have been really good about making family memories. And I think one of the coolest things to me in watching their interactions with their kids is they have a lot of faith in their kids' capabilities. And I have never one time heard either of them say, oh, I don't think you're old enough or strong mm -hmm. enough or, I mean, they are very much um, mm -hmm. pushing their kids to not only try new things, but they have a ton of confidence in them. And so I think that that's been a good example for me and, and my kids is to not, you know, not see them as a hindrance to like activities we want to do, but just say, you know, I think, you know, you, you can learn to do this and we should do it together. And so, yeah, it is. Um, I think it's, it's that and then just trying to find activities that we all like and that's a little bit difficult you know especially where they are so young because there are things that they just really are not quite old enough to do but um yeah so we um it's mostly finding activities that Coda likes is really <laughs> what it comes down to sure. pleasing the most unpleasable I think um no, Coda's great, but he really took to four-wheeling. That was something that he's enjoyed. He rode his first four-wheeler when he was three years old, actually. That was his – His. Uh, my mother-in-law also has a lot of confidence in, <laughs> in his capabilities that I did not have. But um, And that was something he really took to. So we um, kind of took that and ran with it, and that's something we really enjoy. I think for me, the, the trick that I have a hard time with is just saying – yes to things. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes I overthink, you know, whether the activity is going to be 
you know, too involved or too stressful or, you know, things like that. And so I think just focusing more on just saying like, yes, we should totally go to the coast on a Wednesday and, you know, things like that. So it is it is difficult to balance. And there's definitely times that Stetson's been gone so long that he doesn't necessarily want to be gone more, you know, even if that's with the family. So he'll come home and just say, look, I don't really want to turn around and drive another two hours. I just drove all this time. But yeah, he's always willing to do that. He's, you know, loves spending time with his kids and he do just about anything to see him have a good time. So, yeah. 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 Well, no, and thanks for sharing that. I, I think that I've noticed the same thing too, you know, Peter, is that, you know, you guys you guys have so many things that you're juggling right now, but I, I really admire that too, that people can tell what's important to you just by how you spend the limited free time you have, you know? I, I think that I, I don't think we'd ever describe you as somebody that's a workaholic or somebody that, you know, sometimes it can be like church is too much of a priority, you know, and in the sense that, you know, you put other things like family or, or career aside, you know, and I, I don't think that anybody would ever describe you as that. We, we can tell how important your family is to you. And I, I think that's pretty cool. Let's see. Let's give Levi a shot here because you had a couple other mm. things you wanted to ask Peter about. Yeah, so we're ta- we're kind of talking about family right here. So this oh, yeah. this will be good. a good question to ask. Uh, I wanted to ask. You said uh, you learned quite a few lessons about golfing with your dad. Yeah, I did. Growing up uh, in a big family, we loved sports. My dad primarily loved golfing, and he grew up. He played uh, uh, in high school. He played on the BYU golf team, so he was a he was a very good golfer. I don't know. I, there's just so many things that kind of stuck with me, but he would always say things like, never, um, you only tell the ball where you want it to go. Um, so you step up on the tee, you say, hit it in the middle. You never say something like, hey, don't hit it in the water. So it's a mentality that I've developed and I, I just, I live that way. So when I, I get in a situation, I tell myself what I want as the outcome and I never say, don't hit it in the water. Mm. Don't shank it in the woods. Don't top it this time. I just don't speak like that. So I don't have negative speak to myself. I know a lot of people struggle with kind of negative self-talk, but it's just so foreign to me because it, I never developed that. I always, you know, from from playing golf, and it's the strangest thing. If you don't know how to play golf, go out and play golf, stand on the tee and then say, hey, don't hit the ball in the water. I guarantee it's going in the water. That's just mm-hmm. how the game works. Uh, it's a very mental game. Other examples, that, you know, there are plenty of other examples that I could share, but I just, I love playing golf. I love playing with my dad. I recently got to go and visit him in St. George, Utah. He's 80, 84 now, I think, 82, 84. And uh, he still loves the game and still hits the ball great. And uh, so it's just awesome getting down there and, and playing golf with the old man. And, uh, you know, now I can beat up on him on the course, which is fun too. And I was just amazing. You're looking forward to that day, Levi. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's such a such an amazing sport, and it's one that you're outdoors. You get to enjoy nature. You get to enjoy different courses. You get to enjoy again a very mental game. It's a very individual game, but you get to do it with other people, which I think is cool. And you can enjoy it for a lifetime. You know, so many uh, so many hobbies and sports have an expiration date pretty early mm-hmm. in your in your years but golf is one that you can you can really enjoy for a lifetime which is is pretty amazing I like that I like that intentionality you set uh, behind you know when you when you go up to you know the tee box or whatever to play golf and 
and it, there is that great metaphor for life of just living without fear um, and and having the end goal in sight and just believing that you're going to reach that. Yeah, uh, I think that's awesome. My best golf is played on courses I've never played before. If I you, can relate to that. If you take me, <laughs> yeah. if you take me to a course I've never played, I'm gonna have a good round. Um, <laughs> and I just because I don't try to do anything fancy. I step up. I say, hit it in the mm -hmm. middle. I hit it in the middle, and then I go to the next shot. And I, I'm not worried about the, you know, the pond that's there because I usually can't see it, or I have never hit it in that pond before, <laughs> right? So I don't have any like, I'm not trying to protect to not hit it that direction. I just, uh, I see what I need to do and then I try and execute that. And um, so I enjoy playing new courses because I, I play very well and uh, I just don't have any preconceived notions about how to play the game. I just kind of step up and hit it and have a good time and, and kind of explore a new uh, new setting, which is awesome. Yeah. Oh, we could we could do our own separate podcast on golf metaphors and things <laughs> like that, but it's it is cool to have something like, for us and the kids, it's like snowboarding right now. I think for Bethany and the kids, it's like ATV riding. But it's just something that you can do that that's you remember, like your family by. I think so. It's it's not just a hobby. It's it's building a story. Yeah. You know, I wanted to talk with you more about being a dentist because I, I I always have interest when you know you pick a career that speaks to you for some reason. And I was I was curious. Uh, what was the appeal that made you say, even though maybe I don't want to go through dental school, like I have to because I want to be a dentist? What what were the reasons for you? Yeah, great question. So um, I wanted a uh, I wanted a profession where I could really make a difference. I had a lot of interest in entrepreneurship and business ownership growing up. Uh, my dad owned a secondhand store, and so uh, he actually was pretty educated. He went to BYU, got his degree in I think like geology. Um, and then he was a school teacher for a while, but then anyway, he ended up with a secondhand store. So that's what he did most of the time, my growing up years. And, uh, and so we had a lot of interest in, in, uh, entrepreneurship and just, you know, independently creating something and building something. I went to school a couple of years in the, the business field and I was a business major and I really loved it, but it really didn't lead me anywhere that meaningful. I just kind of felt like, oh, once I get my degree, I can take my boss's job at this marketing company. And I was like, that seems kind of lame. You know, it just wasn't that meaningful. Uh, so I started looking around. Um, my brother, Troy, so it's my second uh, second from oldest brother. Um, Do you ever forget their names, by the way? No, I okay. don't. Yeah. And <laughs> well, it's actually... I totally would. <laughs> that is too many. So for some reason... We would always say them oldest to youngest. So I don't know, saying them youngest to oldest would screw me up. Oldest to youngest, I can say them, you know, Rush Troy, Keenan Charb, Ryland, CJ Sayer, Peter Adam Ashley. So I can so say them. This is like your ABCs, yeah, exactly. but saying backwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't forget their names. I always say them oldest to youngest, and I, you know, usually say them quickly like that. But, uh, but Troy, um, who was a roofer at the time, you know, I did roofing, I did lots of construction, I did a lot of, you know, just grunt work. And uh, I really didn't uh, didn't think that would be good long term either. So I wanted a good family oriented career. I wanted something I could make a big difference, and I wanted something that had the opportunity to own a business. And so I looked at medicine. Obviously, I didn't have the opportunities to own a business that I thought, and I didn't quite have the independence that I wanted. Um, I looked at dentistry and thought, "Wow, it really." has a lot of those things that I would love, but I was afraid of the school. I didn't know if I could do the school. 
And then uh, my brother famously once said, we had a, a family friend whose last name was Stuckey, and uh, he said, "If Stuckey can do it, anybody can." Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a bit of a he was a it's bit a of a, a goofball, exactly. So that was the boost of confidence I needed to uh, to go out and get it done. Uh, I made it into dental school by the skin of my teeth, and uh, and fought my way through the first two years, and then uh, kicked some butt on the last two years. So it was. Uh, it was a great uh, it was a great career choice. I've been a dentist now 15 years. Um, when I graduated, I came and, and worked in this practice. After about five years, I bought the practice, and the the former owner worked for me for five or six years. And then he retired, and I've been real happy there. And, and it's been uh, been a huge uh, huge blessing. In what ways do you feel? Because I I can see it, and maybe talk about from a, a dental patient perspective. But where do you see the impact you have in people's lives? Well, it's so interesting in dentistry, and I didn't really expect this going in, but you build really great relationships over time because you're seeing the same person year after year. You're talking <clears> about their family vacations. You're talking about the birth of children. You're talking about their pets. You're talking about, you know, just the the everyday experiences that we all have. And, you know, most of dentistry is pretty forgettable, right? Nobody... <laughs> there, there are some cases that we make a big impact and, and change someone's smile, change someone's bite, change someone's something. But I'd say the 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 more common impact we have is just the you know year in year out. You get to know someone, you build trust, you help them take ownership of their own personal health, mm -hmm. uh, at least a piece of it. Uh, you help someone be empowered about how to improve that health and be more happy with their smile, happy with their self-confidence, you know, these sorts of things build. But it's, again, it's just so cool to to have that impact, to have people trust you, have people know that you're you're doing things that are in their best interest uh, and not your own. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's definitely a, a privilege. And there's no question about it. If anybody's thinking about going into a, a career in the medical field, dentistry is by far the best. There's not even a close second in my opinion. Um, dentistry offers tremendous flexibility, uh, tremendous uh, work-life balance, tons of tons of really great relationships and, and uh, a great journey along the way. So I, I absolutely strongly recommend that people uh, consider dentistry, dental hygiene, dental assisting, almost any of the components of a uh, dental office offer excellent uh, career options for people. Yeah, Peter is the only one that my boys ever want to pull their teeth out, which is <laughs> so funny to me because my mom loves to pull teeth. It's it's weird. I I don't know. She loves to pull teeth, and so I didn't even know that you <laughs> that you would go to the dentist to get your teeth pulled. And uh, my boys do not love being having their teeth pulled, and I can't stand to do it. And Stetson's fingers are just too big. <laughs> so <laughs> Peter gets to pull all our boys' teeth out. And for some reason, they'll scream their heads off when anyone else tries to do it. But Peter can do it. <laughs> so much so that we were four-wheeling at the dunes a few months ago. <laughs> and Bruin had a loose tooth that he was just about to swallow. It was so oh, loose. That thing was flapping in the breeze. And yes. And Stets, he wouldn't let Stetson pull it. I It gives me the heebie-jeebies. So I, I can't do it. And 
and sets and said, well, Peter's here. Let's go get Peter. And so Peter comes over and he says, well, let me just look at it. And, you know, Bruins kind of doesn't really want it to get pulled. <laughs> and Peter goes, well, I have a tool right here. I have a, I have a tooth pulling tool right here. And he turns around and he reaches and sets his tool bag <laughs> and he, gra- <laughs> he grabs a pair of pliers. Oh, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> and he looks at him and he goes, these look pretty clean. <laughs> and he goes, I'm going to use my special tooth pulling tool to get your tooth out. And he takes his pair of pliers. Oh my and my son lets him stick a pair of Makita pliers in his mouth. They were brand new, I think. <laughs> Almost brand new. <laughs> they were pretty shiny. <laughs> yeah. If you know anything about Stetson, his tools are pretty shiny. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, no, he's a, he's a great dentist. He has a very calm demeanor, which I think helps a lot, especially especially with the uh, pliers on the back of it. I was thinking of this backward dentistry. Here. It reminds me of another story where um, we pulled Tyler's toenail off. Oh, my gosh. You want to tell that one? <laughs> yeah, we were out on a camping trip, and I forget what happened, but he had this toenail, maybe a long hike or something. That was a high adventure, yeah. Yeah. I, what it, was, it may have been the from the Castle Craigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his toenail got beat up and it was it was flapping to the side. It was horrible looking. And uh, we were trying to figure out how to fix it. And he was being a big baby about it. And we knew he was going to be a baby the whole rest of the trip if we didn't get it fixed. <laughs> and so, no, he's actually pretty strong. But yeah. um, we knew it was going to be a problem. So we looked around. All we had was... What was it, like a sunburn uh, cream? Yeah, with like 0.0%, 0.01% lidocaine. Tiny bit of lidocaine <laughs> yeah. in it. And so I may or may not have convinced him that the amount of lidocaine was actually pretty strong and it was gonna <laughs> it was gonna do a whole lot to help i remember i got roped in a little oh later. my yeah, gosh yeah so we fibbed a little bit on how much lidocaine Sorry, was Tyler. in that thing i may have told you that there was more <laughs> than there was too so we, we rubbed the lidocaine on it we gave it the appropriate amount of time to uh, work its magic mm-hmm. and we snatched that uh that toenail off and he was good as new. He did great. Oh, he yeah. He was super tough. Yeah. We told him later that the lidocaine was insignificant, but uh, but that was that was the, the least important yeah, part. Yeah, that's, that's one of those, like, believe in yourself. <laughs> that's the little right. engine that could. My. You know? I just put the yeah. feather in Dumbo's <laughs> trunk, and uh, yeah. he knew he could fly. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. Just a different different way of telling the same story. Yeah. Oh, I just got distracted there. That was great. But <laughs> Dentistry. That's awesome. But I, I agree with you, though, too, going back to the impact on people's lives, because I, I have I can relate uh, on a lot of levels with primary care, because it, every once in a while, we have that one case where it just we made a diagnosis that was, you know, really impactful or something or, you know, help somebody with a really Im- important you know medical issue. But I, I think where I get more fulfillment too is is building those relationships with people and not only just hearing about their life but also just seeing them go from really difficult situations a lot of time and then finding personal triumph in their life and and being able to be a tiny part of that is pretty cool and humbling yeah it's amazing i wanted to ask you that on a related note i one thing that i've been trying to do over the last several years is just be as um, solidly the same person in every phase and every aspect of my life as I can and, and live in my faith. And especially through my career, as I'm kind of 
getting older and, and hopefully wiser. <laughs> um, how have you learned to live your faith in, in your profession? Yeah, I think um, I think I just try and I guess I'm not super uh, vocal about it. I'm not pushy about my faith. Uh, but, you know, everyone who knows me knows that I'm a church going uh, sort of guy and that uh, they ask me about my weekend. I'm not going to skip from Saturday to, to Monday. You know what I mean? I'll tell them that I went to church and you know, had an activity or this, that, or the other. And I'll tell them when the youth temple trip comes up and when different activities are related to church things. And so I try and make it just as normal as, you know, uh, just a, a normal routine. And I guess, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel forced to me because I just, I, I feel like that's what I care about. It's what I want to talk about. And, uh, and if they want to talk about the church that they go to or no church at all, then that's great too, right? I I hope uh, I hope everyone has faith in their life, and uh, and so talking about uh, church and my own faith, uh, I think feels uh, feels very comfortable to me. I, I don't I don't I'm not concerned about it, but you know I guess I just try and live that way. I I would say. And I, I think too, just building on that too. I I think just the the way that you serve people and and your profession too. I, I think that a lot of the principles you learn through the gospel, that's been, you know, that's kind of carried through into how you practice dentistry as well. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think, you know, my my company has three core values and two of the core values uh, include the word service, right? Uh, so it's caring for others, loving others, acknowledging others as our brothers and sisters, you know, that, that has a big, a big impact on how you... Uh, how you address personal needs, how you interact with people, how you, you know, build relationships, that sort of thing. And we joke a lot about back and forth about who's the real doctor between <laughs> no, us two. No, we don't. We already know. We, we know very clearly there's only one real doctor at this table. <laughs> Even if Jordan's here, we'll joke about that too. But, but I, I will say honestly, you know, for just being genuine with you here, I, I think that uh, all of us see the the value that you bring as as a dentist, and you know, I, I think that from a patient experience standpoint, being able to smile and and you know feel comfortable with that, it's such a key part of human interaction. I I think that's just a beautiful part of dentistry is yeah. being able to offer that to somebody, and it seems small, but it's it's so impactful in our lives. Um, and I would say from a personal standpoint too, I will let almost any health issue go, but if I chip a tooth, I will be in your office <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's just so Im important and impactful in our lives, yeah. being able to have just good oral health. So I just thank you for what you do and for the other people in your professions. Yeah, no, it's like I say, it's a, it's a privilege to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cool to, uh, to get to know people and, and to be able to help out, you know, where we can. Well, we we got into a lot of the stories that we wanted to already hear. Bethany, anything else you wanted to talk with Peter about? Or I think Levi had another one written down. Yeah, let's let's go to Levi with then here. Some, I think he was mom. Right? I didn't have that one. Oh, was it the wallpaper one? Whatever one that one was. Oh, you had that one. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Levi. we got it. Let's do that one. <laughs> Levi, what do you got for us? I don't have anything for it. You wrote it down for you. I, did I write it down? <laughs> yeah, you wrote it down for well, you. Tell us about the mom and wallpaper story. Yeah, so I grew up with a uh, with a very uh, determined mother, and uh, she had eleven kids. They were all single births, no twins, no adoptions, 
And uh, so she was a tough woman, a uh, very, uh, uh, very loving woman, but not a, um, not an express it all the time sort of love. It was a, I show you love because I feed you sort of thing, you know, and, and other ways, other ways. Yeah, In I our home, we that. didn't, we didn't really say I love you ever really. But my mom was a hard worker and, uh, and I really, you know, remember one story in particular we came home, and uh, she was in the kitchen. We had this hideous, hideous wallpaper, which, you know, we've all had bad wallpaper in our house uh, <laughs> if, if you grew up, if you're, if you're my age. And uh, we came in the house, and she was just picking at the wallpaper and just tearing it off. We literally thought she had lost her mind. We came in. We were all very concerned because she. We thought she cracked. She's looking for gold in the oh, walls. We or thought something. that was it. <laughs> yeah. We thought she did, had gone mad. You know what I mean? And you know, for good reason. Not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like it's out of the question. So it wasn't. It uh, wasn't a, an unreasonable jump for us. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we thought, holy cow, this is it. So we all kind of like tiptoed in the kitchen, like, "Mom, you okay? How's everything going?" And she's just feverishly tearing at this wallpaper and uh we just let her go and after a little bit she's like i've been staring at that wallpaper for 10 years <laughs> she finally broke <laughs> and, and it was it was it, that day was the day the last day that wallpaper was going to be on there and uh i don't know i just it was it was just one of those moments where when uh <laughs> excuse me something needs to get done just get it done you know what i mean if you're done staring at the wallpaper, just tear it off and move on. And uh, <laughs> so I, I, I feel like she was just a hard worker. She and she didn't expect people to do the work for her. She was going to get the job done. You know, I think a little like Stetson, yeah. just going to get yeah. it done and uh, not complain about it. Uh, maybe complain a little bit, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. but but she was she was an amazing uh, amazing woman. Still is. She's still alive and. Um, uh, an absolute, the most loyal uh, person I know, and uh, absolutely would give, uh, you know, would give anything for her, her family. So it was pretty, uh, kind of a funny story, but uh, <laughs> a little concerning uh, <laughs> at parts, but it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, wallpaper will do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I have another question just along yeah. the same family lines. I'm just curious if there's any traditions that you guys as a family had that you have carried over and and conversely if there's any traditions you had that you were absolutely adamantly against <laughs> carrying over no, I think again. I had a few yeah. of those. <laughs> yeah, I think that's an interesting, you know, as you grow up, as you get married, you kind of have to decide with your spouse, hey, what did you like about your childhood that you want to carry forward? What did I like? What do you want to carry forward? Um after we were first married, um we lived away from home for a long time. We were both in school. We moved to Indiana, and you know my parents didn't visit. I don't think my parents visited once while we were in Indiana for four years. I don't even think they came out for my graduation. But that's not unusual. I, I'm not put out by that. They just they <clears throat> didn't want to interfere in their children's marriages, and so they basically said, "Once you're married, basically don't call us with your problems. You guys work <laughs> it out." Yeah. And, uh, and and we'll be here if you need us. Yeah. Uh, we love you. We care about you. But we want you to live your life and make your choices and that sort of thing. I don't know. I guess it gave us the opportunity to build a lot of traditions. So we, 
we built a lot of our own traditions and kind of married some of the best things from her family and some of the best things from my family. Uh, from her family, we got uh, appetizers on Thanksgiving. We got, uh, um, I don't know, lots of great Christmas traditions. We like to do a, a secret Santa. We like to do a gift exchange. Oh, I don't know. We, we, we try and have traditions for almost every holiday. We love to celebrate every holiday, and that's mostly from her side. Yeah, um, cool. From my side, I think we, we picked, you know, a love of the outdoors. You know, so on Sunday, growing up, we used to go on Sunday drives. You get done with church, you have uh, have a big lunch, and then we'd pile in the car and we'd drive up uh, Payson Canyon and just go exploring, go for a Sunday drive. And that was totally common. So for us to go out and go camping and go exploring as a family and go find new waterfalls, you know, we've we've just tried to get out and explore, which is a really cool tradition from from my family, I think. But yeah, so I would say so many uh, so many others. But it's a it's a fun blend between the two. As far as traditions that I would not want to continue, I don't know. None really jump out to me. Um, Having eleven children, yeah, that's, that was definitely one that we were going to put an end to. Yeah, four children was definitely uh, definitely the right number for us, and and uh, we we are. Uh, just super blessed to uh, to have the the kids we do. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I like that. It's it's interesting in in our in our marriage the the uh, traditions that we've kept or been interested in keeping all came from Stetson's side. <laughs> the traditions that we have absolutely nixed have come from. That. <laughs> so, no, I think uh, there's just a couple that come that come to mind that. Um, we 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 gave it a, a an honest try. My mom, since she was a kid, always watched It's a Wonderful Life on Christmas yeah. Eve. And I don't dislike the movie. It's just so long. And I just remember <laughs> every Christmas Eve. And half of us liked it. There's eight kids in my family, and there was about half of us that liked it and half of us that would beg her to watch something different. They said, we don't care – about watching a Christmas movie, can we just watch a different Christmas movie? And my dad would just begrudgingly, you know, he'd sleep through the whole thing. But, you know, it was mom's tradition. And, and uh, when Setson and I were dating, he um, came, he lived in Iowa for the majority of our dating relationship, but he had come um, back for Christmas. And so he, <laughs> he got to watch It's a Wonderful Life with our family. <laughs> and, and he went, that was weird. I don't do you guys do this every year? And I said, we sure do. And <laughs> and uh when we got married, my mom gave us the DVD and Setson looked at me and goes, We're not doing this. And so I think <laughs> it didn't last. I think in our in our marriage relationship, I think I've tried to watch it maybe once. And that was Setson wasn't with me on that one. So that one died, um, died with us. And then the other one is my mom grew up always on Christmas morning, they would have Orange Julius. That her mom would make. And I think it was just like concentrated orange juice and vanilla ice cream. And then, no, you know, it wasn't even ice cream. It was concentrated orange juice, sugar, and vanilla. And we loved that as kids. But the only thing was we had to be done with that before we could open presents. So we're all just trying to drink it as fast as we can. We have brain freezes. Well, (laughs) when I was about 18 or 19, my mom went through this crazy health overhaul. And so then... Christmas, Orange Julius became like this absolutely horrendous 
green juice shake. And so not only were we like trying to choke it down because it tasted absolutely horrible, but um, it was cold. And so we're all getting brain freezes. She's, you know, walks out of the room. We're dumping it down the drain. And Stetson looks at me and he's like, we are not doing orange Julius. We are not doing green shakes. Christmas (laughs) cleanse. (laughs) Yes. So no, we had a lot of fun as kids too, but it's just funny because those are the two that really, those two traditions really my mom was very, very adamant about. And I think maybe it was that lack of flexibility that kind of yeah. swayed us away from that. But yeah, I think my uh, my kids may have some of the traditions they <laughs> want to discontinue. Yeah, we, we, have, yeah. we have a lot, you know, Thanksgiving morning, we run a 5k. Oh, Every yes. New Year's, we try and do a polar plunge in the ocean. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of them. They actually are pretty excited about most of them, but I think there are probably a few they're going to dump with their spouse when they uh, get yeah. to that point, <laughs> which is great. They can develop their own, which is yeah. what we want. Yeah. Well, that's if you have enough, then the good news is, you know, some of them can be weeded <laughs> out. You don't just drop them all. <laughs> no, you guys have a lot of fun with your kids. It's, yeah. it's really cool to see. Awesome. Well, I'd, I did want to ask one more question and then we'll do our, we do the same final question with every episode or, or most of them at least. So I, I wanted to ask you about a redo. I, Tina Marchant is a recurring kind of guest host with us and, and this is her favorite question about what would you redo? And you mentioned that connecting with or staying connected with friends is something that looking back on it, you'd, you'd like to maybe be better at or uh, can you tell me more? Yeah, I, I feel like I've, I've always been uh, blessed with just awesome people around me. Um, but I think growing up, I was right at the edge of technology developing mm-hmm. where, you know, Facebook and these things came about. And so I was never really interested in them. And I was never really all that interested in video games or that sort of thing. And so I just, I just never jumped on that bandwagon. And so, you know, like friends from high school, I've just, I've just, not had a connection with them for years or even like friends from dental school. I've got amazing friends from dental school, but I just don't talk to them very much. And I think part of that comes from being in a big family. You know, the way our family communicates just blows my wife away because we don't like reach out and call each other and do Sunday evening Zoom calls and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We just don't have that many interactions. You know, we live out of state. You know, a lot of my family lives in Utah. So the family there gets together more often, but I'm just obviously further away. So it's it's harder to be part of those things. But then when we get together, she's like, it's the strangest thing. You get together for a family reunion. It's like you've been hanging out every weekend. So she just is baffled by that, uh, that weird, you know, in five seconds, we're back to harassing each other and <laughs> all the stories yeah. of our growing up and you know the pecking order is still uh, is still in place and that oh, sort the of the pecking thing. order never goes away <laughs> that, that is always a thing <laughs> so yeah it's kind of kind of fun that is an interesting thing though just about getting older is it is harder to connect with people and i think maybe we let ourselves off the hook a little bit i'm just speaking from personal experience as far as well, life got busy. We naturally kind of drift away. And I think now for me, reflecting on some of those relationships like med school and, and college and things like that, it's like, no, nah, man, like there are certain people I want to really reach out to again and say like, hey, you're you were like really important to me in, in life. And, you know, I, I want to use 
some intentionality to to reconnect with you you know i i think that it at least for me that's something i realized later is that it does take effort but those relationships trump a lot of things i thought were important yeah yeah i'm a very um <clears throat> you know get it done sort of guy so sometimes i uh, i definitely care about people but sometimes it's easy to just just zip right through it um and uh and maybe not express my feelings as much as i wanted to again i, I grew up in a home where if i said i love you five times you know i'd be surprised it just it just wasn't a normal conversation and so expressing you know my my appreciation for people my love for friends and and that sort of thing just isn't isn't very natural for me it's something i've learned a lot from my wife uh, about but i still have a long a long ways to go in that category and you know keeping those connections and reaching back out to people and finding opportunities to to remember them and and show that appreciation is you know something i uh, i ought to uh to do more i'd like to do more yeah no, and i think it's like it doesn't have to be like a, a lesson that we learned and already fixed everything i think sometimes it's cool to talk about the things we're still figuring out yeah, you know totally but um and i think a lot of people could relate to that let's let's wrap up here actually we i got both of my boys here I, sidebar by the way both of my oh see now owen's running away yeah. but <laughs> both of our boys love peter um and I, I think at least Owen, our youngest, anytime he's into a new hobby like chess or something like that, he seeks Peter out. <laughs> I don't know if he thinks you're a, he a, thinks I'm an easy target. He thinks he can beat me. <laughs> yeah, looking, well, he uh, doesn't know Peter very well then. <laughs> looking for another victim. <laughs> no, I think actually there's, I think Stetson said this before, but the kid test is pretty cool. Like if, if somebody... It, if there's somebody that your kids naturally gravitate to, that's usually a good sign about that person. So, But apparently we scared Owen off, so he's not going to ask this question. <laughs> Levi, do you want to ask the final question? I don't have it memorized You don't have it memorized? <laughs> no. Come on, man. I know. I haven't listened to an episode in so long. He has been, yeah, he's been slacking on listening to it. Although, See, Owen, Owen listens to all of them, Owen so listens. I think Owen should do it. <laughs> <laughs> he does, he does. I don't know. We're missing, oh, we're, yeah, we're missing big time in the 13 to 15 demographic, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> but the younger kids and older teenagers listen to us. So anyway, so our, our last question, Peter, is how has your membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints helped you to better connect with the Savior? That's a great question. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, my understanding of who Jesus Christ is, you know, is is uh, completely defined by by my faith, by my church membership. Um, you know, there's the old saying, if you want to get to know someone, you got to walk a mile in their moccasins. And, uh, you know, I think as we as we are faithful members of the Church of Jesus Christ, we have opportunities to serve. We have callings, we have responsibilities, and we try and hold each other accountable to living the gospel, right? It's not just show up on Sunday and show up once a year and pretend you care. Like, it's come every week and and let's grow let's learn together let's tackle some of those uh weaknesses you have let's see if we can get better and stronger and and uh, more capable so i i think that's where my relationship with uh with christ has really grown it's by not just studying his word but by trying to live his word trying to teach his word to someone else trying to help someone else see their own their own value uh in spite of their flaws 
trying to help someone else see mm. the blessings of living the gospel when it's hard for them, you know, when it stretches them, when it makes them uncomfortable, when it makes them uh, feel like they don't want to try again. Uh, I think those are the times that, that really make an impact, make a change for someone. Um, and they've made a change for me, right? Uh, I've, I've, uh, I've got many, many, uh, uh, flaws and, and, uh, you know, many things that the Savior's helped me overcome and many things he still needs to help me overcome. So it's the constant battle of, of doing the best you can, uh, being happy with what you've given and allowing the grace that uh, Christ offers all of us to, uh, uh, to make it all right somehow. Uh, you know, we know that we'll never, um, earn the uh, the reward we seek, uh, that we're all beggars, um, but through Jesus Christ, we can all receive um, all that he has for us in this life and the next. So I think that's really the, the beautiful, uh, beautiful part of the gospel to me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Connection Podcast. I know we sure enjoyed making it. I wanted to update you guys on a couple of things. We do have one more episode with the Walkers of Springfield Second Ward coming out this month. And then we're going to take a little break in December. I have had a lot of people ask if I would be open to making my own episode where I answer actually user submitted questions instead of questions that we have for our show notes. Do that. I would, I would love to do that. Actually, either answering myself in an episode or having guests come on and, and we'll talk in a conversational style like we have on other episodes. If you could send in questions on the Connection Podcast Facebook page, I think that'd probably be the easiest place to add those questions and then we can just pull them for the episode. I'd love to do that. Actually, would love to do a Q&A type episode every now and then anyway. For those who are waiting on prizes that we are getting out there, there were, was a little bit of a technical difficulty. We're still planning on doing that in the next couple of months. So definitely expect that coming out. 